Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today, we're talking with Adam Wathen, who you probably know is the creator of Tailwind, CSS, and all sorts of other amazing things. But he got his start talking about testing and Laravel. So that's what we're going to do today. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about an individual topic. And today we're talking about testing with the the man, the myth, the legend, Adam Wathen. Adam has done a lot of things, and you actually probably heard of him more recently because of things like Tailwind and all that. But one of the first things that Adam did in the Laravel world was introduce a lot of us to what a more kind of, I don't even know the best term for it, but a, a better way of testing. I'm going to call it that. Testing. And so he did a lot of stuff teaching about testing and tweets and book and course and all this kind of stuff. So, well, I guess the book wasn't about testing, but yeah, all course, all this stuff. Uh, so Adam, I, I just kind of talked about you a little bit, but like when you meet people, I love hearing like, cause we all know who you are, right? Everybody in the Laravel community does. But when you meet people who have no freaking clue that this whole section of the internet thinks you're God, <laughs> basically, like how do you introduce yourself? What do you say you do? Yeah. So, I mean, these days I, I just tell people that I'm a computer programmer and I run a small company that uh, builds tools that helps other people make websites. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Do you get people asking to make websites for them? They're like, oh, yeah, you know, my like mom and pop needs a website no, or something. No, I have not had that happen okay. too often lately. But I mean, I think it it has happened to all of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm curious if maybe because you're saying like I build tools instead of I build websites. I think it's mostly getting, just that I don't meet that many people. And uh, <laughs> That's true. My, right. Like, There's how much actual yeah, socialization is there in laws and life. stuff don't need websites, thankfully. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> who else exactly. do you see? Uh, I love it. Well, so again, the reason we've got Adam here, he knows there's a lot of different things he knows, but he did uh, test driven Laravel, which is a extraordinarily long and <laughs> wonderful test course teaching all about testing. And, and if anyone's not familiar with testing, we're talking primarily about automated testing versus tests that are scripted. I'm not going to go any further than that because the first question we ask in every single episode is if you were to describe this topic and I'm just going to say automated testing, yeah. you don't need to worry about PHP unit Laravel to a five year old. How would you describe it? Yeah, so I think the way I would describe it is that like automated tests are a way to sort of teach the computer to let you know when you've made a mistake, basically. Okay. So that you can fix your mistakes before it's too late. I freaking love that. That's that, that is maybe the most concise answer of the entire season. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. All right. So yeah, so you're teaching the computer how to know when something's not doing what it's supposed to. And so the test is basically make sure that it's doing yeah, what it's supposed totally. to, right? So most often, the next thing I ask here is, let, so let's say you were speaking to a programmer who has a little bit of experience programming, but doesn't have experience with automated testing. Could you tell them a little bit more about what that process is like of teaching it how the things should function? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like if I was going to talk to someone who knows how to program, but doesn't have experience with automated testing, I'd probably talk to them a little bit about like how they check that their code works right now right mm -hmm. if you're not writing tests then you're still testing your code but you're doing it by hand usually which means usually you make a change then maybe you delete some stuff in the database then like refresh your site go back to the page where you create the new product create the new product go to the edit page click the drop down right. switches to something else <laughs> and hope that you don't see like the exception screen this time right you know what i mean yeah. and you keep doing that and checking table plus or sql pro until like ah there's that value that i was hoping would show up <laughs> now that i've like made this little transformation to this api call or whatever so we all test our code i mean most of us test our code <laughs> right in some way right. shape or form some people write code that they never execute and set it ship, and forget ship it. to production but it's true. generally we we do verify that our code works somehow and automated testing again is a way to try and 
capture that process for verifying that something worked in code in a way that you can just repeat it over and over again with a keystroke and sort of take it out of your brain and put it yeah. into like a system. So you don't have that. to always remember every single thing that you have to test and think about like, okay, well, okay, I made this change here and maybe this is where, where could that have caused something else to break that I have to like think about? Yep. Could that have broken the import system? Hmm, maybe there's a way it could have broken the import system, you know, but right. if you have a test suite, I mean, that to me is the nicest thing about it. It just like, all this pressure to just like have an awareness of how everything in the system yeah. is connected to each other is the pulled off of your shoulders and onto the computer's shoulders. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and, and even further than the, like you remembering the import system, it's more the ones that you don't ask the question about. Mm-hmm. It breaks and you're like, well, I never thought that might be connected. Right. Yeah. And how is this broken on prod? I never imagined that this one line of code yeah. halfway across the app would have touched. It turns out it did. And you didn't yeah. Think about it. Especially if it, you don't realize or the bug doesn't appear until a few days later and now it's like yes. when was this in, what Which commit was this introduced, introduced in? This? <laughs> I have yep. no idea. 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, um, and that's yeah, very common that. especially if you're working on you know if you're working on something with a lot of users and production probably you catch things like that pretty easily but yeah. for the sorts of apps that like I used to work on when I was working with you guys at Titan there would be a, a lot of times where something is like pre-production still, you know what I mean? So it's not getting hammered and all the different endpoints aren't getting hit all the time. So it could be, you know, very easy for something to sneak by and have a hard time tracing it back. So, yeah. Or it touches a system that people don't use all that much, like Mm -hmm. the the user onboarding. Maybe you've got thousands of users, but you only onboard a user, you know, once a week or something. So totally. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good. And I think that one of the things that you mentioned there, you didn't kind of flesh this out the whole way is the fact that it's not just about making sure that there's no bugs, but it's helping, it's taking it out of your brain, the responsibility of remembering what testing Mm -hmm. the app for bugs looks like. And one of the things I love about that is that the fact that it, that continues whether or not you're the person working, working on the project, right? So the knowledge of the last person of how to test it carries on. And we often get called in to work with teams where they say, well, the person who wrote all this code left and we say, okay, they say, can you make some changes? And we say, yeah, are you going to test to make sure the app still works? And they say, we don't know how, you know, because we don't remember all the things to check. We don't know the things that are connected. And so unit testing would help you. Yeah. So speaking of unit testing, I don't want to go to like a deep, deep dive of like the different terminologies, but could you give me a high level of just a couple of the phrases that I want to understand or the terms I want to understand? Sure. Yeah. So people throw around terms like end to end testing, acceptance testing, integration testing, unit testing, isolated unit testing, feature testing, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of these things mean different things to different people. I think like probably at the top of the pyramid, not the top of the testing pyramid, mind you, but the top top (laughs) of like people's mind, like the sort of the the term that most common term that people kind of debate the meaning of is like unit testing, right? A lot of people will say that a unit test is when you test like a function or a method on a class and test them and mm-hmm. i give it these arguments i get this output or this side effect and isolated unit testing which is what a lot of people mean when they say unit testing is i want to be able to test that function on its own without running any other functions or without right. talking to an api or without talking to a database and a lot of other people will argue that unit testing just means like testing a unit of the system and your mm-hmm. definition of unit is sort of up to you as a developer and is context dependent. So it might mean a function that calls 10 other little functions. It could mean like testing a whole import process. You know, it it could mean a lot of things. So I've always found the term unit testing to not be super, not useful as like a categorization concept anyways. I think it's 
generally more useful to think of tests in like, I don't know, two categories maybe. I usually think of things as testing like features of a system. So I have like Mm -hmm. something that I know I want the app to do from like an end user's perspective. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're testing it through the browser or like a headless browser or something, but more just like I have like something that I need like this project to do in this way. And I want to test it as close to like the perspective of the consumer as possible. Mm -hmm. And those are the sorts of tests that you use to like catch regressions, make things sure that the system is working, sort of tests that live around forever. And then there's tests that some people call them like programmer tests, which is another word for what people often call unit tests. But Mm -hmm. these are tests that you write because they're helping you solve a problem. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day are usually usually could be deleted without losing test coverage. So this is like I'm working on like some little algorithm inside of some feature and I really want to just focus on this one piece of it. So I'm going to write some tests so I don't have to keep testing it manually, even though maybe I have a bigger feature test that covers like the whole import process already. That's already currently failing because I haven't actually implemented it, but I'm working on this one little transformation. I write a little test for it, uh, get it working. And then maybe I keep the test around, but if I deleted it, I know that I wouldn't be losing test coverage because if I broke the code that was being covered by this test, that bigger kind of feature test would also fail. It might not give me as nice of an error. It might just say like, you know, exception was thrown, but don't know why. Whereas the programmery test might have been like uh, you passed in null and it was expecting a number or whatever. Right. But those are kind of the two ways I think about tests. Tests that like help me like that I want to keep running to verify that the system is working and tests that I'm just kind of writing to sort of like offload things into the computer temporarily. Mm -hmm. And yeah, often you will keep those tests, but the problem is if you want to make like some drastic refactoring that doesn't change the behavior of the system from an outside perspective, it could change the expectation of that test. And now that test could start failing, even though like the feature test is passing, which is, you know, those are, that's not a good situation to like, it's not that it's not a good situation to be in, but tests like that, again, they're for your benefit as a programmer for solving the problem, not for verifying right. that the system's working. So you shouldn't be afraid to trash it. I freaking love that because th- th- we've had like these this unit tests and then the feature tests directories in Laravel. And I was actually just about to ask you about those, but you got to them. So if you're if you're new to Laravel, you're new to unit testing or feature testing or anything, automated testing, and you open those up, you might ask the question of which goes where. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you all. The vast majority, I just throw everything in unit testing because mm. the delineation between the two doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But this is the most compelling reason I've ever heard to differentiate them because... So and I, I'm going to give an example and please tell me if this is me following it right because I, I think that this is more important than anything else we talk about here. Sure. So if, if I had an importer, like I, I've built multiple apps where there's a user can import a CSV of all yep. of their contacts, right? So I would have a test that says, you know, login is user one, grab this CSV and then send it as a post to the import slash create endpoint or something. And then, you know, click a couple buttons and then make sure at the end, these three users that were in my CSV are also in the database, right? So that's more like a feature test, right? Like a user can import a CSV. And then the unit test there, one of them might be the CSV reader. And there might be a class whose responsibility is taking a CSV and transforming it to an array. So the test on that thing would be unit tests because later, instead of having a CSV reader, we might have some other kind of system and we might use like a, you know, a manager system that has multiple different types of, so like the architecture of supporting this feature might be different. So in that moment, we would change the architecture, our unit tests around CSV might break, but the feature 
of can I still upload a CSV and see the records yeah. and database at the end still passes. Is that kind of what you're thinking yeah, about the yeah. definition? Yeah, and, and even like a another way to sort of make the point that's using the same example is say you have these unit tests for this CSV reader that basically is like testing that you can parse the CSV into an array. Yeah. Um, and that is required for this import process. Those tests are all passing and stuff, but then you discover that someone just released an awesome CSV parsing package. Okay, I'm going right. to install that package instead. I'm going to delete my CSV reader class. But now all yep. of a sudden my unit tests for my CSV reader are failing because the class doesn't yeah. exist anymore, but the feature still works because yeah. I replaced it with the library that did it. You I know what I mean? That. So yeah. that's kind of like the most heavy handed example of like why yeah, that yeah. test is, it's only important. You know, it, it's, it's not really that important on its own because again, like the thing that it's in service of is still working mm -hmm, and still mm -hmm. passing. So you don't necessarily, you know, need to, need to keep that around. Well, where on the other hand, if you use that same CSV reader multiple places around your app and later delete the CSV importer, you may end up keeping the unit tests around. So it's, it's, it's yeah. valuable at times to have both. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, okay. it's complicated, right? Like one way that yeah. I like to think about it too is sometimes like your app's unit tests could be like another project's feature tests. So this is Interesting. like yeah. the same way we're kind of talking about this whole pulling in a library thing. Say you wanted to take your CSV reader and use it on another project. So you wanted to extract mm -hmm. it into a library yourself that you could reuse. Well, now those unit tests are the feature tests of that yeah. library, right? Your CSV so library. it's like, where where is like the, what's, you want to test at the API of the thing that you're building, but like yep. what the API is sort of depends on sort of the, like the end user, sort of like where what's getting reused and what's what's not getting yeah. reused or, or and not even necessarily reused. But, yeah, like what is being what is being used by the outside world and what's only that. being used internally. And that can and that can change and that can change even throughout the course of a, a project that is a project that you're working on yourself, like another situation that I've run into where it makes sense to sort of keep unit tests or I mean we're I, I don't want to like get too into the weeds because I feel like we're gonna start know, talking I'm, about I'm a lot out of here. We're we're sort of like talking about abstract advanced concepts yeah. maybe before getting into That's stuff. My fault. But yeah, maybe we can maybe we can kind of get grounded for a minute here and, and jump back into some of this idea. stuff. But Thanks, yeah, so. there's definitely this idea that I like to think of of like seams in your application, especially when it comes to like when to introduce test doubles for things, which is very yeah. related to what we're talking about um, right now. So maybe we can shelve that for a minute and, uh, another day. and get back that. to reality and we can get into yeah. that again in a bit. Well, I appreciate that. And for those of you who are like a little bit more advanced level, and if you're hearing these things, wish we kept going. Well, hopefully I'm going to get to it at the end. But if not, you can hit both of us up on Twitter. I'm sure we'd be happy to nerd. Mm. Well, Adam more than me, <laughs> but I'll, I'll nerd out with you in any way I'm capable of. Okay, so we're going to get back into stuff. So everybody remember the primary focus of this season is of people who are new to it. So one of the, the questions I often ask in this season is when's the last time you used this system? I'm going to step away from this system in PHP because I think it's it, we should talk in a second about what this system looks like in PHP and in Laravel, but just higher level. Do you ever write anything without tests these days? Yes, but only yeah. because I still haven't made investments in certain areas to like get fast uh -huh. at it. But I like it's very rare that I work on anything without writing tests. So even like today, for example, I've written tests today. You know, yeah. I was working on a new feature for Tailwind where we wanted to support like using an array for a conf tailwind config instead of an object and i had to write a bunch uh -huh. of tests to make sure that all that worked so you know i do t write tests every day that i program i think the places where 
I don't are usually um, UI code. You know what I mean? Like testing. Yes. 100%. Like a view component and stuff like that. I still haven't found a workflow that feels like I'm productive. I don't know. A lot of time it feels like I want to test this in the browser anyways, because there's this like there's this intermingling of both behavior and design sort of happening yep. at the same time. So you end up just playing with things. And yeah, but I would still like to get better at that too, honestly. So yeah, yeah. me too. And, and just to give a sense to everybody, you know, here about kind of what's normative in the Laravel community, I think it can be easy to hear about automated tests, especially hearing about the idea of like design tests and browser tests and think that you must be really good at those. And I'm just going to be super transparent. Very few people in the Laravel community are doing really effective front end tests mm -hmm. other than probably those that are working in like full stack frameworks where they're writing tests of their front end logic in those frameworks. Like if you write a component that has some sort of calculations in it or a computed property that you want to make sure that given a certain set of data, it computes one way. So, you know, those things people are testing. They're not testing nearly as extensive as we as a community test our Laravel code, but those are testing, but especially things more like clicking buttons or positioning things or whether things are hidden or not hidden when it's not just a computed state. But that kind of stuff, I feel like we're all at this place of not being sure. And I know, you know, yeah. we've done some some jest at Titan and some other stuff, but it's definitely not like this everybody does it kind of thing in the same way that I think PHP tests are. Sure, for sure. Yeah. And some of it is just like so hard to test. Like we're working yeah. on these UI libraries and our team right now and Robin, who's building them, has had to like invent like testing harnesses to make some of this stuff uh -huh. possible like we had to build yeah. this react transition component and writing tests for that that could actually verify that when i click this button this panel opens and it takes this long and it waits for this other stuff like that is some gnarly stuff yeah. to, to deal with right so i think like just the fact that how often you have to like invent like a almost your own like testing framework not in like the php yeah. unit sense of the word but like your own custom assertions and all that sort of stuff the amount yeah. of work that you have to put in invest into your own test tooling i think can expose like how uncommon it, it actually is you know mm -hmm. otherwise more of this stuff would just like exist out in the wild so that's that's a i think a really helpful transition to talk a little bit before we talk about like common challenges and gotchas is just like let's say someone's never written a php unit test in laravel before could mm -hmm. you give us a quick walkthrough of maybe like let's say that i wanted to write a feature test because i think well would you still recommend that if somebody's never tested before that they should start with kind of like higher level outer outside in feature tests or would you start with unit tests good question i think so there's arguments to be made for both. I, th I think it's useful to learn the mechanics of testing in a more like unit testy sort of way. You know, yeah. just like, okay, I have a function that's supposed to do something like remove the spaces from a string. You know what I mean? Right. Like something mm -hmm. that's just like very isolated and a very not complicated problem. It doesn't have a lot of weird interactions going on with the outside world. If you just yeah, kind of want to yeah. learn like, okay, how do I write a test function in PHP unit? What are like the three stages of testing and what yeah. type of assertions exist? And how do I use PHP unit data providers and, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing? Definitely the you're going to be better served by keeping the actual code and problem that you're trying to test as simple as possible so you can devote your brain power to yeah. learning the tool and the features of the tool and the overall sort of workflow, right? But yeah. I think once you get comfortable with that, I would quickly start trying to test some application logic because I think one of the biggest kind of frustrations people run into when learning testing is that a lot of the information out there 
focuses on these very overly simplistic cases. And Mm -hmm. when you try to test something that needs to talk to a database or make an API call or queue a background job or send an email, which is 99% of the real work that you're doing, like most of the work we're doing as application developers is making data move from this to this and, you know, kind of, kind of wiring together other stuff. Yeah. Testing that stuff can be a little trickier, especially if you try to apply the ideas that are kind of evangelized in like very unit testy mm-hmm. sort of environments, you know? So I think it's good to start practicing with that right away. As yeah. soon as you sort of understand the mechanics, um, best to start trying to apply it to the sort of real work that you do. I love that. Yeah. And I was tempted to start asking you questions about the really rudimentary basics of like how to do it. But I think that's not time well spent because you can learn those rudimentary basics a million different places about assert true and assert false and the steps and stuff like that. I don't think that that's worth your time. So I would say anybody, if you've never actually seen a line of PHP unit code, if you wouldn't mind, just hit pause real quick and just go Google. And if I find a really great one, I'll throw it in the show notes. So check the show notes too. Just like introduction to PHP unit syntax. You know, mm-hmm. there might be even a free Laracast video on that. If so, I will I will link it in the show For notes sure. too. Just get that in your brain so that I'm not going to spend Adam's time right now, you know, <laughs> doing that. So let's say everyone we're talking to understands basic PHP unit syntax. They understand assertions and they understand, you know, the stages of, of testing and everything like that. But one last question before we get into it. If, if Could you give me the simplest or the most common useful application test that you think that it would be a good place for somebody who's now comfortable with unit testing, understands the mechanics of PHP unit, where do you think that the the average Laravel app would benefit having its first and simplest and easiest to understand and kind of step into application test written? Yeah, sure. So the example that I've given a lot in the past when I've done like testing workshops and stuff is um, testing like a Twitter clone, you know, and how to start with like testing an application like that. So I would, the example that I've always started with is I think there's a couple different ones that we could start with, but they're they're all kind of similar in a sense. Maybe something like like viewing a tweet, you know what I mean? Like being able to go to a Mm -hmm. URL like twitter.com slash, you know, Matt Stouffer slash ABC123 and like, yeah. testing that you know the right tweet comes up right yep um so that being uh, testing that will force you to sort of touch a bunch of different things and sort of the laravel mm-hmm. testing ecosystem which will yeah. help you kind of get familiar with some of that stuff really quickly so and we we can sort of touch on some of the testing basic stuff while we kind of talk about this because it is okay. all relevant but the three sort of like phases of a test that people talk about generally are like a range act assert so you start yeah the beginning of a test you sort of you set up the world in sort of the way that you want it and in like a hyper unit test usually that's just like okay the input string that i want to strip all the spaces from is Mm -hmm. hello space world space my space name space is space adam you know what i mean right that's like your arrange all you're doing is creating like okay what's our starting point then your act phase is where you take that input you do what you need to do with it to get the output um, so usually that's calling the function that you pass the, the parameter into. And then there's the assert phase where you take the output of that or the state of the world more right likely yeah. in like the case of an application test. And you ask some questions about it to make sure that the answers are what you expect. Like, okay, right. is this string now this same thing, but with the spaces removed? Or yeah. in an application world, is it, okay, now does the tweets table have one row in it where the yeah tweet type content is this 
So in a Laravel sort of application testing perspective, we're testing that we want to be able to see a tweet, then we have to sort of create all the stuff that would be necessary for that to happen. A lot of this kind of is, especially if you're doing this from like a TDD perspective, which is like a little Mm -hmm. bit different than testing after the fact. I mean, we could talk about both perspectives, but from a TDD perspective, often here you're, you're sort of like describing, you're setting up a world that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah, yeah, I love that. But say you already had all the database tables and stuff for your little Twitter clone and you were just gonna try and arrange things. What you might do is first say, okay, well, I know I wanna hit this URL, it's mattstouffer slash the tweet ID. Um, so mm-hmm. I know I'm gonna need a tweet, so I better, in my act or my range phase, I'm gonna say, you know, um, tweet equals tweet colon colon create and pass in some arguments. Well, what does it need? Well, it's gonna need to belong to Matt Stauffer. So yep. I'm gonna need to say like user underscore ID equals Matt ID. And it's like, okay, well, I don't have a Matt variable, so I need to create right. Matt now. So above that, I'm gonna step back and I'm gonna say, okay, well, Matt equals user colon colon create email, you know, Matt mm-hmm. at titan.co or whatever. Now you've got, that's kind of all you need, right? For this simple test, right. that's, those are the two things that you need now. In this case, for that to work, like those actually have to get saved to a database somewhere, right? right. So Laravel has a bunch of different ways for, for doing this. Like you can use like a SQLite in-memory database, which is a really great way to get started because it basically requires no external configuration and everything just kind of like yeah. happens in this sort of clean, immutable way. Um, and sometimes though, if you start leveraging more complex features of whatever database you're using, you'll have to sort of graduate to running a real like test database in table plus you know in your like mysql instance uh, mm-hmm. that you have to sort of refresh and I, I i don't know if this has changed since the last time i set up a brand new laravel app but there's a trait that's like re- refresh database or something i think that's still what it is and i yeah. think it's it's smart enough to sort of know whether you're using sqlite or mysql and if it's using sqlite or mysql it'll truncate all the tables at the beginning of each test if it's yeah. using sqlite it doesn't need to do anything it'll just destroy it and recreate it every single time um, but that'll just kind of give you a nice clean database environment. Um, so yeah, we run these two lines of code to create a user, create a tweet, and then we have to basically visit the URL where we expect to be able to get the information about the tweet. So in Laravel, this is, I think it's just like this arrow get, and then mm-hmm. the URL, or you know, you can use the route helper or something to expand the URL, pass in the URL, you'll get like a test response back. And yeah. usually what I would do in this case is you could, there's a couple things you could do. You, you can get like the whole string body of the HTML mm-hmm. and make some assertions that, you know, string contains like the tweet text and stuff like right. that, which is, you know, a great way to start. Usually I personally don't assert against like res- HTML responses because they are a little bit fragile sometimes and it also just hard to make assertions about because the data could get manipulated or you yeah. know, you're dealing with all these HTML tags and it can be mm-hmm. a little bit nasty. So the approach I generally take instead is I try to just make sure that my templates are like as logicless as possible. So mm-hmm. maybe there's like an if statement for a thing or two here and there, but generally I'm not doing real work in the template. And the benefit of that to me is that you can use this helper on the test response. I think I think it's like response arrow data i have to remember sometimes like what are macros that i create in projects and what are like what ships with laravel but there's a way to ask the response for what was the data that the controller passed to the view just get it raw 
And in those, oh. so I'll use that to make assertions about like, okay, the tweet that was sent to the view had this, this ID, which matches the ID of the tweet that I created and the content uh, like matches that. what I created. And as long as like you, you feel comfortable that you're not doing anything very weird in your views, um, mm-hmm. that like reduces your confidence in this, like accurately testing the system, then this is a nice way to make those sorts of assertions in a, in a way that's very clean and sort of data driven instead of like kind of yep. like scraping html pages and stuff i love that so i'll usually write an assertion that first i'll check to see like okay um you, i think you can do like response view or something and get the template name that was used that was returned well, you can, from the controller yeah but there's also assertions from these i, I didn't mean up to you but do, oh do yeah you know there's a like cert, a cert view a cert is view has, a cert view has view yeah exactly. you're right so my <laughs> My recommendations here are coming from like the pre exactly uh, customer assertions <laughs> era. So like that's yep. even easier. So you can just say response assert view is um you know tweets dot show and mm-hmm. a response assert view has and there's a couple ways I think you can do that. You can just pass in like an array that has like a a string for tweet and then like the tweet, but that'll probably fail because mm-hmm. it's not the same object instance as the one that's yeah, in exactly. your test because it fetched it from yeah. the database fresh. So yeah, what point. you can do instead is pass a callback. So you can say a cert view has pass in a callback. And as long as the callback returns true, the assertion will pass. So usually what I'll do there is I'll say like return view arrow tweet mm-hmm. arrow ID triple equals, you know, tweet ID. And, I, and as long yeah, as the IDs are the same your, and check yeah, the content, then you're, then you're good to go. So that would nice. be like a very simple sort of like six line test you could write that hit a system sort of end-to-end touches like the database touches the http layer and stuff like that and yeah that's kind of like a great place to get started and then there's a lot of other stuff we can get into like testing queues and email and all that sort of stuff but um yeah that's like that's sort of like a a read test and then you might Mm -hmm. want to test like creating a tweet right so yeah often this is a little bit different because instead of just testing the HTTP response, you might want to test something about the HTTP response, right? Depending on how you're building it, maybe you're building it as like, it's an Ajax call that like doesn't refresh Uh the page. You might just want to check that you get like a 204 response code back, right? Yeah. But that's not enough to really know that like you actually saved the tweet to the database. So usually what I'll do is um, I'll often do like maybe like a pre-assertion. So you might, mm-hmm. in your arrange phase, you might just like, let's just, before we run anything, let's just like test to be sure that right now the tweets table is empty. So we'll say, right. you know, yep. like this assert true tweet colon colon count, you know, is zero or whatever, zero. or assert yeah. count zero. Um, yeah. I, I think you'd have to do assert equal or assert true. I mean, assert true, you can test anything with a cert true, really. That's yeah. the only assertion you really need yep. at the end of Eventually. the day. Eventually, yeah. Um, yeah, they all get down to that event at yeah. some point. So I'll often do that at the very beginning of a test to just say, okay, well, let's just make sure that the world is in the state that I think it's in. Yeah. And then you might, okay, well, to create a tweet, we need to have a user. So I'll say Matt equals user colon colon create. And then mm-hmm. I might say uh, to make the request, you can say like this, acting as Matt mm-hmm. post slash tweets and then the content or post json depending on how you're doing it and um then you'll get a response back but even if that response come back as a 204 you don't know for sure that the tweet was saved yeah. right so because you could just write an empty controller action that just returned response 204 it doesn't actually do anything so how do you test that you actually got anything into the database well this is where you have to start basically asserting about side effects in addition mm-hmm. to just the response. So instead of just, you know, assert response or like response, assert okay or assert status 204 or whatever, you'd also want to probably 
query the tweets table again and see yeah. if the tweet is there. Yeah. Uh, it's very simple, right? It's <laughs> and it's easy. But uh, if you listen to some of the advice that you'll see out there, people will tell you this is not a good way to test, which yeah. I struggle to comprehend because it's such a simple and easy way to test that gives you so much confidence yeah. in your code. But it is how I absolutely would recommend getting started with testing. So you can just make an assertion directly about the contents of the database, you know, tweet equals tweet colon colon first, which you can kind of reliably do now that you've made that pre-assertion to check that the tweets table was empty before. Um, yeah. This assert equals, you know, um, hello world tweet content. Maybe assert that there's only one tweet in the tweets table, so you didn't actually right. save two copies of it or something like that, yeah. and uh, you're good to go. So that kind of covers like the two most kind of straightforward uh, situations from from how I test Laravel applications. Anyways, I, I always think of like the routes as the, really the UI for the app itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're testing just features of the application, that usually means interacting with the routes and seeing. Yeah what you get back and what it does to the database at its most simple level. So yeah, that's where I would start. I love that. And there's there's so many good nuggets in there, including lots of ways where I think that this pushes back on some of the criticisms people have had of application testing. And I don't want to spend this whole podcast with you and me just kind of saying, here's why some criticisms are wrong. <laughs> but I, I feel like people are going to hear those criticisms at some time and need to hear at least baseline. So two things that Adam did there that I think are, oh, there's a lot of great things, but there's two that are really great that both have to do with addressing the fragility of application testing that is actually interacting with views. A lot of the criticisms that people have of this full application testing, who are saying, no, you shouldn't do that. All your tests should be in isolation. One of the things they'll often say is, how can you test you know, HTML when everything's super fragile? And, and there's a really good example in terms of why Adam said, don't just test the full HTML string. I've Before I learned that, I would often have a false positive because I'd say, make sure something shows up on this page and that same string would would be in the sidebar of the page, but it wouldn't yeah. be where I want it to be mm -hmm. in the body of the page, right? And so there's ways around that, like assert C in. But in general, it is more fragile to do it that way. But this whole assert view has concept allows you to say, I don't care what the view renders out to be. I just want to make sure that I'm passing the right data into this view and yeah. I'm passing it to the correct view. And so it's both fully encompassing as long as your templates aren't broken, which you can handle separately to testing if you want, then you're getting that right data there. Yeah. But you're avoiding that whole kind of cruft of testing HTML, right? Yeah. I think it's the same thing in the way in where one of the things that really scared me about this, you know, integration application testing was what happens when I need to test user login? Well, I'm going to have to figure out how to find the user login, the, the email address thing, and then type text in there and then hit tab and then find the other thing and then type text in there and then click the name of the button. But what happens if the button name changes? And we actually did used to do some of that stuff. And mm -hmm. that was super overwhelming because it seems very fragile. Things could break as soon as your user interface changes. And so with Adam's way, you're by passing that, right? And that doesn't mean that you get exactly the same level of coverage, right? You're not, if somebody yeah. breaks the form that, that if someone, that yeah, if someone breaks the form, to, like they mess up right. the URL in the form, like maybe they got a little carried away with like multi-cursor and sublime yeah. or whatever, and uh -huh. accidentally changed part of the action in the form. Yeah. You're in trouble. So, um, there's not, it's all about trade-offs, right? So exactly. But that doesn't mean that you can't do both. So Another sort of category of tests that we haven't really talked about that I think is helpful, but I wouldn't use them in like a TDD sort of way necessarily is like dusk tests, right? Like browser yep. tests. Mm -hmm. But I don't think of these as the same as automated tests. Like they are automated tests, but I don't think of them as like the sort of thing that I'm constantly running with a keystroke every time I'm like making every changes time, yeah. to make things work. I think of it as like a substitute for like a QA department. 
Exactly. So instead of having a checklist of things that you manually go through the app and test all this stuff, you write browser tests that automate mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like I think of them as like, if you had a QA department, they would probably be rewriting these dust tests themselves. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. But the programmers are probably not. They're writing the stuff that helps them I be productive and do the stuff that they want to do. That feels like a whole different category of stuff to me. It's 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 you know, a checklist of stuff you want to make sure is like working in the application mm-hmm. at a very, very high level. Because the reality is too, there's um you're all, there's always mistakes that you're going to make or things you forget to test or edge cases you forget to test. And you can only test the things that occur to you to test. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so often doing like some real manual QA stuff is going to unearth stuff that you might not have written a test case for or might not have thought of. And, you know, if those sorts of tests were like very fast to run and fast to write, you probably yeah. could just use those as like, your main tool for testing everything but it is just a little bit slower and it also is a little bit indirect which can make Mm -hmm. it hard to hard to see why something is broken if it's broken um hard to get like a hundred percent confidence that like you're getting exactly the outcome that you want Mm -hmm. you know being able to like check that there's three records in the database feels like a lot more like okay, I know for sure that it did exactly what I want, then being able to check mm-hmm. that there's like three LIs in the HTML yep. with like a DOM crawler from like the, the browser, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's sort of like the right balance, in my opinion, of like testing the system from the outside and yeah. sort of executing all of it, but also having enough enough of sort of a direct insight into exactly the data that you're working with mm-hmm. that you can react to failures and stuff more quickly so um yeah that's how i think about it anyways i love that because that you're bringing up the idea of there's a little bit of a continuum from like how quote-unquote pure unit you are on one end and then the other end how perfectly you cover every single potential interactive use case Mm -hmm. and things like dust and dusk and like javascript tests do a great job of handling the one far end and then these like hyper isolated unit, um, unit tests get you in the other end. But I think this this functional application test that Adam was talking about, I think that gives us more of the place where we're we're getting a more broad coverage and we're not ensuring we get everything. And that's why I said, like, if somebody pointed that form in the wrong place, it could be fixed. But to me, I agree with you completely. I would rather put that in a dusk test because what I want these PHP based tests are to be testing is that the PHP functions the way I want it, right? Yeah. And that's more about once the PHP gets that HTTP post, what does it do? And then what is the state of the backend yeah. after that? And I'm a little bit less concerned about the, the interactions, which feel more safe in Dusk. So I love that because you're not saying everybody should do the most absolute crazy interactive front end test because there's downsides of that too. And you name some of them, but it's just that like purely isolated unit tests are not the only way right and sometimes they also also result in people writing really crappy code like somebody might say i want to be able to test this tweet process and the only way to do that in isolation is to build a class whose responsibility is posting tweets and then you build a tweet poster yeah and and then a tweet repository exactly and you just build all this complexity it's not necessary so i would encourage you all if you're new to this try it this way because it's it's elegant it lines up with writing tests in sync with the code that you just wrote. You know, you're not stepping into a very different environment 
and a mm-hmm. different kind of space of thinking. You're, you're writing code in line with the thing that you just, like you're writing that code about the HTTP post or right before you write the controller that handles that HTTP post and does some stuff with it. You're writing that database assertion right before or after you wrote the code that interacts with the database, right? So it's very in line with what you're writing. So it's a really easy place to start. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Adam, that was brilliant. I love it. So because we're as far in as we are, let's step forward a little bit and probably some more things will come up. But what are some things where you think people who are getting who are new to testing, whether that is automated testing in general, whether that's testing in PHP or testing in Laravel, what do you think are some common things that trip people up or some challenges they often run into or some ways that you wish that they would think differently when they first got started? Kind of what what message would you have for people who are just getting started? Sure. A couple um, things. The first one is the whole isolated unit testing thing we sort of touched on a little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there that'll sort of basically spread things like if you can't test your code in isolation, then it's poorly mm-hmm. designed. You know, like mm-hmm. this sort of like guilt shaming thing that you'll yeah, see. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's totally wrong. I think testing your code in isolation leads to hard to refactor code a lot yeah. of the time. And a lot of the time, if you if you isolate too much, you're actually not even you get to a point where you're not actually testing anything. You're not testing that the code actually yeah. works. You're only testing yep. that the code is written the written way the you expected it to be written for the tests to pass. You yeah. know, if yeah. you're saying like assert that the name method was called on user with this argument, those tools are useful in some situations, but a lot of stuff out there will make you think that you should be doing that for for everything. And if you get mm-hmm. to a point where you're just like testing like you get to a point where where your tests when you're writing them that way are almost like assert, you know, file get contents user.php triple equals the <laughs> string that starts with a PHP opening tag and then has a bunch uh-huh. of namespace imports, you know what I mean? You're just asserting yeah. that you wrote specific yeah, code, code, you're not you asserting wrote, that yeah. the outcome of the code is what is what you want. Yeah. That's like the extreme basically mm-hmm. of what happens if you go too far in that direction. So you have to be careful to not mirror your implementation um, with your tests, no matter what you read from a lot of blogs out there. The the thing yeah. is about like educational content on the internet in general is that the people who are most like excited and passionate to teach topics often are the people who don't have a lot of experience in those topics, yep. but people who are just really excited about learning them. Yeah. And what'll happen is like someone who gets really, really good at testing isn't really it feels solved in their head now and it's not an interesting mm-hmm. problem anymore and they stop yeah. talking about it, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. like when I was really getting into testing, I used to talk to Dave Marshall a lot who he mm-hmm. actually yeah. like is the maintainer of Mockery, which is a mocking library, but he's like really smart and knows a lot about testing, but yeah. doesn't talk about it as much as you'd think given like the wealth yeah. of knowledge that he has. He's like the most, yeah. he's like the most experienced tester that I basically ever had the chance to yeah. like talk to about this stuff. And he would basically tell me all the same things that I'm kind of saying now. But, you know, if you read blog posts from people who just read like the goose book for the first time, they're going to be yeah. saying other stuff. So you have to be careful like where you're getting your information from and don't automatically assume that because someone wrote something down that it's necessarily mm-hmm. good, good advice. So that would be the first thing. I think another thing is to be willing to sort of write your own tooling mm-hmm. to make it possible to test the things um, that you want to test. So an example of this is like back in 
the Laravel, early Laravel 5 days, I think, there wasn't really any good way to like test email that, you know, mm-hmm. so you had like a, a endpoint that queued a job that sent an email and you wanted to test the queue job and you wanted to be able to assert that somehow like an email got sent. The best you could sort of do was like trying to mock Laravel's mailer and stuff. And yeah. that got pretty nasty. And, and it led to like writing assertions, like make sure this method is called with this arguments. Whereas yeah. really... If you take a step back and ask yourself, okay, well, what do I actually want to be able to verify? I want to be able to verify that an email was sent to this email address with this subject and this content. So yeah. how can I, what do I have to build to be able to express that in my tests? So yeah. like when I ran into that problem, I built like a Laravel mail testing library called Mail Thief yeah. at the time. And, you know, I had to do a bunch of work to create like a fake implementation of the mailer that had the same API and exposed a bunch of methods for inspecting like what mail objects it had received during the course, Mm -hmm. like lifecycle of the request. But at the end of the day, it let my tests be like really, really expressive. And I had to do stuff like that on almost every project, like not relying on mocking and stuff like that, but instead figuring out, okay, how can I replace this mailer with a sort of like a test friendly mailer like a mailer that like what yeah. is like willing to like let me in the back door and say like come see like what came in like while the request <laughs> yeah. is happening you know what i mean laravel ships with a lot of stuff that works that way now but it didn't at the yeah. time and the reason it yeah. does now i is because like we were working on libraries like that that yeah. kind of exposed that oh wow there's like a better way to do this sort of thing so it's it's been very common in projects that i've worked on to have to like write tools to be able to make the assertions that i want and yeah. that's how has always like paid off. So never assume that like the reason something is hard to test is because it's like just supposed to be hard to yeah. test and you have to figure out a way to like mock it and do all this crazy stuff. Like develop a mindset of like assuming that the reason this is hard to test is because no one has made it easy to test yet. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. can be that person because I'm just as capable as anybody else. And I can do that myself yeah. and it'll take a day. But now... I can write the tests that I want and feel kind of confident about things working the way that I want. Um, so those are probably like the two biggest takeaways that I like to tell people for sure. <laughs> There's lots of other stuff we could get into uh, too, but those are kind of good, two good places to start, I think. That's good. And one note about those, a lot of times when people have done that, they're responsible for, and you're mentioning this a little bit, they're responsible for the testing framework existing and it does today. I mean, so you wrote Mail Thief, and I don't know the story with Taylor, but I know that at some point, you know, Taylor saw that. He also saw the log one. I can't remember who wrote the log one, but someone had mm-hmm. written a similar log one. And those things are now in the in the in the the core. And Jeffrey wrote the one where you click around on things and then that got moved into yeah. the core. And the thing with um, using what's it called the the SQLite in memory databases for yeah. your clean and early ones that was something you were teaching yeah. a lot of people and, and now it's in the core and so when you find yourselves like you know Taylor and Adam have often mentioned that what they have that helps them most as programmers is a low tolerance for something yeah, just frustration like a low or something pain tolerance basically yeah and so they're like I don't want to have to do this crap every time I write yeah. a test so I'm going to write something you know and so that's like I love the the encouragement to be sensitive to your own pain tolerance and testing and if it's mm-hmm. if you're doing something that's miserable that might be an opportunity to make it less miserable for you yeah. this time around and then maybe next time and then maybe other people yeah 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 that's great so since we're coming a little bit close to the end here, is there anything else you'd really like to talk about on this topic? I don't think so, honestly. Like, I think uh, we've kind of covered 
some of the big ideas for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm trying okay. to look through like my test driven Laravel like course outline just to see if there's like any <laughs> yeah. like fun topics. You know what I mean? That are yeah are things that are worth looking at. I think like maybe the only other one would be um, testing things that integrate with like third party APIs and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, you were you were the king of that for a long time. It's asking people really good questions around this. I, <laughs> I mean, that was just like the one bit. topic where I just felt like no one was yeah, giving me a good straight answer, right? good answer. So yeah, <laughs> but I feel like I have a good answer for it now, which is basically uh, if you need to like test like talking to Stripe or talking to the GitHub API or that sort of thing, mm-hmm. mocking that is just not going to prove anything. Like saying that, assuming that Stripe sends me this webhook, like well. Webhooks are hard. Here's the here's the other thing that we'll get into is that some of this stuff is literally impossible to write automated yeah. tests for that can actually give you any confidence. But mm-hmm. best case scenario, um, in a case like Stripe, say you want to test like taking a payment. Stripe gives you like a sandbox account that you can use for testing with like test API keys and stuff like that. Right. And if you want to make sure that your code is actually talking to Stripe properly, the absolute only way to do that is to write tests that make HTTP requests to Stripe using your test tokens and then make more yeah. HTTP requests to Stripe after that to fetch the data back and make sure that like you get the data um, that you want. So a lot of people will say like you should mock these APIs or you should like use, I can't even remember what the tools are anymore, like uh, VCR and stuff like that, uh-huh, which that, that can your- help because mm-hmm. like that can let you sort of like do it once and then like be able Mm -hmm. to make those same test assertions offline. But generally what I find the best approach to be is take the code that's supposed to talk to service like Stripe and Mm -hmm. isolate it into like one place and make the API to it very simple and basically Mm -hmm. try to avoid conditionals and stuff in that code as much as possible. Like basically just put as few things in there that can break as possible and try to extract anything that's like complex or fragile out of it. And write unit tests for the class that talks to Stripe. And then in your own code, like your H, like your HTTP tests, like your feature tests, like maybe you want to test like a payment form. You don't necessarily want to test that that talks to Stripe correctly. You just want to test that that stru- talks to your sort of adapter correctly. Yeah. So I'll usually yeah. replace the Stripe class in the, in the IOC container with a fake, kind of like yeah. the mailing thing. That'll let me make assertions about that. And... Mm-hmm. Um, That'll make sure I can run that test like offline and stuff like that. And then I can do it fast. But then I'll still have these tests for the actual Stripe adapter, the real one that talks to Stripe that I can run whenever I want to. And those are what I usually call integration tests, like things that integrate with external things. And there's a risk, though, when you write stuff this way that your fake implementation can like get out of sync with the real one or might not behave exactly the same way. So like say you have like a test for... One with Stripe is you might want to be able to test that you can make a a payment and that you can like retrieve that payment, right? Right. So you can write tests for that on its own, but there's no guarantee that like the fake version that you've built that uses like an in-memory array for storing those payments works the same Mm way. Um, So what I do to avoid that issue is I write what I, um, basically I call them like, I can't even remember what I called them when I came up with a term for them, like interface tests or something. Let's okay. see if I can like uh, find these now. Interface, oh, tests, contract tests. That's the word I was looking uh, for. Okay. So basically, I'll write a test that has a bunch of assertions that says like, okay, when I pay Stripe and retrieve it, I get the thing back. Uh-huh. And um, 
what I'll do is I'll run that same test against both the fake and yeah. like the real thing to make sure that they I get like the same um, result yeah. for both. I love that. And I wrote a blog post about this back in like 2016 called Preventing API Drift with Contract Tests. Yeah. So this is like a good way to be able to like test stuff that talks to Stripe in isolation without having to make mm-hmm. all your other tests talk over the network and use fakes for that stuff, but not introduce that risk of mm-hmm. them like drifting away from each other because you have this like this test suite in the middle that links to both of them and the way that i've usually done it is extracted all the tests into like a trait and then i'll mm-hmm. write like a a, f- a test for the fake oh. that pulls in the trait and a test for the real one that pulls in the trait and Got then it. you just add a method on each one of those tests that's like get stripe adapter and the fake one just yep. says return new fake stripe and the yeah. other one says return real stripe with these keys and stuff like that and that'll uh yeah that that's been really helpful now there's situations where you're integrating with who knows API from nowhere with no sandbox environment that has not taken any yeah. consideration about your developer happiness into account. And in those yep. situations, like all you can do is you only have like one real live integration you can talk to. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And you can't write tests against it because maybe there's no way to delete the data that you send to it. So you're just like yeah. loading up a production database with test data. So that's no good. So in those cases, um, the most important thing to recognize is that that code is basically untestable. And yeah. the best thing you can do is, like I said before, um, minimize the surface area of like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. code to be as simple as possible with no conditionals. Like, Write it, manually test it, get it working, make sure that, you know, there's like basically nothing that can go wrong with it and then fake your class that does all that Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of your application. But you have to like just acknowledge and respect the fact that like that code is untested. If they make a change to their API, your code can break without your tests failing. But there's literally nothing else that you could have done in that situation, Mm -hmm. right? So that was like an important realization for me when it came to like this question of like how do you test stuff that integrates with third-party services everyone would just say mock the network mock the network mock the network Mm -hmm. but i was like well that's Mm -hmm. what happens if they change the response format and my code is expecting this format a and they give me back format b um and no one would give me a straight answer but the reality is just like if that happens your code will break and there's nothing you can do yeah and like the important thing is just like accept that as fact and now, yeah. knowing that fact, what can you do to basically feel as at peace with that risk yeah. as possible? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because pretending that you can get around it by like mocking the network and stuff like that is just going to lead you to make sort of worse decisions than just mm-hmm. knowing that that literally is the most fragile piece of the code. So like, how yeah. can we like put that up? on the top of the bookcase surrounded by pillows Uh (laughs) so that if the toddler comes into the kitchen, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, I love that. Yeah. So it's important to just like when something's untestable, like recognize it as untestable and arrange things accordingly, basically. Mm -hmm. And, and that would basically be my advice on testing third party APIs. I love that. And I I really do remember the time when you just asked everybody about that. (laughs) I, I like one thing I hadn't heard you say before was this idea that in this class that you're building directly to interface with that, you should keep it as simple as possible. And I'm, I'm making assumptions about why you're saying that. But you actually just kind of real quick talk about what is the benefit from re- removing conditionals and all that kind of stuff to make that sure. class as simple as possible. Yeah. So like the fewer conditionals there are, 
the fewer code paths there are, right? So the fewer mm -hmm. things that can possibly happen, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, every time you introduce a conditional or a nested conditional, you like double the amount of code paths in the application, yeah. which is just more places where like things could go wrong. So if you can extract all that stuff as much as much as possible, so that like all that can happen is like the data goes in and it like makes the network request and like uh -huh. the response comes back and maybe you have some failure handling for if the mm -hmm. network request fails or whatever, you know, yeah. but if, if you can keep it to just that, then there's less reasons to ever go and change that code, which means there's less yeah. uh, chance of that code breaking if you have like important like business logic in there about like oh we've ch decided that now when someone signs up like the trial period should be this long instead of this long as long as mm -hmm. they um were referred by someone who created their account before this date right you know if that logic lives in like your stripe adapter and you're touching yeah. it all the time and stripe is not as bad of a situation because it's tested but say it's in your authorized.net adapter and yeah. <laughs> you're in there changing stuff all the time and there's no yeah. way to test that it actually worked. Well, yeah. you're just like increasing the likelihood of it breaking, right? So I you just that. want as few reasons to like ever have to edit code in that file as possible. Mm -hmm. That's great. And yeah, for anyone who didn't totally follow that, like if, if you were to imagine that there's an HTTP call that gets made by a method in his Stripe adapter, and then there's some business logic that says, well, if X, Y, and Z make this HTTP call with these parameters, if it's A, B, and C make that HTTP call, what he's saying here is have keep it so that there's only one method for each of those and have something else doing those conditionals. Because then when you test this something else, let's say it's a class responsible for subscriptions or something, you're now mocking this Stripe adapter. And you can just yeah. say, in uh, you know, make sure that this particular method was called, which is a simple method with no conditionals in it. Yeah. So this thing stays like a simple, not a perfect one-to-one, -one, right? But like a simple layer between HTTP yeah. calls with Guzzle whatever and or their their SDK or whatever and your consuming code. Exactly. I, I love that. Put the conditionals like in the queue job or in the controller or the layer yeah. that the controller calls or whatever. But basically imagine there's like a line between the code I can test and code I cannot test. And uh -huh. on that side that can't be tested, you want there to be as little code there as possible. So conditionals, yeah. try and throw them over the fence as much as you can. Yeah. So yeah, instead of having like a accept payment method on the Stripe adapter with a bunch of conditionals mm -hmm. in it, just have maybe there's like five methods that all make different yeah. requests to the Stripe API for different things. Like, again, I can't think of exactly what you would might do in that case, but even if it's just like, you know, okay, instead of having it like take a user sign up as like the argument to paying Stripe mm -hmm. or paying authorized.net, mm -hmm. you really just want it to take an amount and yep. like uh, an email address yeah. and uh -huh. like that's yeah. it. You don't want it to take like an amount and a discount percentage and an email address because yep. now you have to calculate the discount in the Stripe thing and there's an yep. opportunity you can make a mistake. So if you can just calculate the discount before you pass it in and only pass in the final amount, well, now there's like one less piece of code that you can make a mistake in, right? So it's like just like pushing that principle as, as far as you can, basically. Yeah, that's awesome. I like the idea of the line. It's just keep the line... You know, keep the stuff on the side of the line that you can't test as as simple and as few lines of code and as little conditional logic as possible. And you know, having talked and I, I promise I'll be done at the out of this, but having talked through Xdebug with Derek, the guy who creates Xdebug, mm -hmm. if anybody didn't see me doing that, I was basically saying the hardest thing to debug is when I've got a whole bunch of loops and conditionals, and something breaks and I don't know which 
if we got inside the if or we didn't yeah, get inside yeah. the if, which iteration of the loop had this break or whatever. So yeah. even when if you do I find yourself 365, <laughs> exactly, <you know? laughs> exactly. And so like, if you are, let's say this stuff is the hardest to test. And so this, therefore this stuff is the stuff you're most likely to get an exception uh, on prod. Well, you want that to be as easy to debug as possible as, as well. So if, if it got, you got an exception and there's only one method there and there's no conditionals that exception, again, like figuring out where it went wrong and the whole stack trace of that is also a lot easier. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So if somebody wanted to learn about testing in Laravel, I'm just going to say off the box, the best, my favorite resource ever is your test driven Laravel course. And it's a couple years old and I still think it's the absolute best resource. And I know it's a paid course and you're a humble guy, so you're not just going to tell everybody to do it. So I will, you all should go pay for that. That's what I would say. However, outside of that, since I've already plugged that, are there any other resources? And especially, let's say somebody just wants to get started for free, where would sure. you turn them to learn about testing in Laravel sure. or testing in general? For sure. I think, honestly, I will still recommend like some of my own free content. If you go and look yeah. at like conference talks that I've given, I gave like a an hour and a half long test-driven Laravel talk at Laracon in 2016. Yeah. I gave a talk at Laracon Online, which was like lies you've been told about testing, which I think is one of yeah. my favorite talks that I've ever done. Yeah, I love it. That had a lot of good stuff in it. Honestly, I I bet you there's like lots of good stuff on Laracasts too, but I yeah. haven't watched it because it's like, I feel like I know it now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I haven't looked yeah, at exactly. it in a while. Um, I yeah. can also recommend like, some of the resources uh, that I kind of like learned testing from mm -hmm. too. Like, I think if I had to just pick like a couple, it would be, there's a book called the RSpec book, which is like, mm -hmm. you'd think it's like on using RSpec, which is like the Ruby test framework. And it's an mm -hmm. old book, but it's actually more on like testing applications with like BDD and okay. using RSpec as like the the tool. I guess it's 10 years old. It's literally a 10 year old wow. book, maybe older because who knows if this is like a second mm -hmm. edition or whatever, but that book yeah. is like so good. And everything I learned about testing in Laravel basically came from reading books about testing in rails, books about testing in yeah. Java and trying to translate that information. So that's like the, um, sort of like the first, uh, like party sort of thing, uh -huh. you know, like where I picked stuff up from. Um, the Growing Object-Oriented Software Guided by Tests book is good, too, although careful not to interpret it as, like, you should mock everything because um, yeah. it's not really about that. But they do get into a lot of sticky situations where they explain that you should do that. Um, so I could see how that could be misinterpreted. Uh, and then there is there's the Practical Object-Oriented Design in Ruby book by Sandy Metz yep. that just has a chapter on testing. And that like chapter yeah. in that book is like one of the best testing resources like I've ever <laughs> totally agree. ever read. So that's what I would check out myself. Maybe you know like what some of the more modern or kind of current Laravel testing uh, resources would be. I feel like Jason McCreary did a free one, but I could be wrong. Um, but if he did, I'll um, and everything that Adam just said, I'll put in the show notes. And I also think, yeah, he did a like a basically like a really long blog post that's called "Start Testing Your Laravel Applications" mm -hmm. about a year ago. So I'll link that in the show notes. I'll also go through Laracast and see if there's any free testing courses in there, and I'll make sure I link them because they'll be sure to be good. I'll also link the um, the Laravel docs about testing because they'll be good. Yeah, um, definitely. But I. I want to agree with you that I would say like if you're just getting started while all the written resources that um, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but all the written resources, all the books that he just said are really, really good. But for your average person, they're probably not going to get started with the RSpec book. No. 
It's definitely so, like if you want to like get deep into like the origins yeah. of some of these ideas, you know, yep. then I would start there. But if uh, if you just want to like know what to do, then you can just benefit from everyone else's like information harvesting yeah. and like check out some of the talks I've given or articles that I've written. Like my blog in the archive section is just loaded with testing yeah, content. There's so much in there. Jason McCree definitely, I kind of forgot that he did like he did this Confident Laravel series recently too which is specifically about how to add tests to an existing Laravel app, whereas mm -hmm. a lot of my stuff is more about test-driven development. Um, and yeah. I know lots of people are in situations where their app, they didn't write tests because they were moving fast and trying to get things done. And then a couple months later, all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, now I wish I had tests, you know? Yeah. So that would be definitely something worth checking out too. Yeah, that's good. And I, I I, I do want to say that while I think um, Adam's course is absolutely freaking fantastic, you can learn everything you need to know for free on any of the things we've talked about. These courses just help you get through it a little bit you know, faster and easier and a little bit more robustly. So if you are just looking at saying, you know what, his course looks amazing. I can't afford that right now. I totally understood. I mean, I would if, you, if you're thinking about it, think about it for, for sure. But just go consume all of Adam's free stuff. Go consume all of Jason McCreary's free stuff. Go consume Laracast free stuff. And between those three, you're going to have, you're going to get a lot, a lot in there. But you can also go look at a lot of open source code bases that are in the Laravel world. And we've linked to them previously. But if you just go look at any of Adam's, I think you probably have at least one or two open source probably still at some point. I most likely. Yeah. <laughs> Titan has some. Titan has some and you wrote the code in some of them mm -hmm. that we have. But just go take a look at the tests at any of the Titan open source repos or anything like that. Like there are people out there that are doing testing in in the open. So you don't have to pay money. But if, you know, especially if you've got a company and you're trying to get your whole company set up, well, the fastest way would be, you know, something like Adam's course. But there's options for all of you available out there. So. For sure. All right, so the last thing at the end of every single one is a personal fun moment specific to the person I'm talking to you. And I had a really hard time deciding because there's like 17 different things that I know that you're interested in that I could really nerd with you about for a while or I wanted to have <laughs> you teach me about like all this weightlifting stuff and all this kind of stuff. I almost asked you about your food intake recently because it's super interesting, but I realized the one I want to know more than anything is I know that you're big into, and I'm sorry if I used the wrong word, but metal or hardcore. Oh, yeah, I don't know what sure. the right genre is. Yeah. And I've done a little bit of like Screamo, like some Norma Jean and some Under Oath in my past, but it's not the same. Yeah. And so I wanted to hear from you like, now you don't have to say perfectly, but if you were to pick one like intro song oh, to man. introduce all of us, you know, and you could take your time, we'll edit yeah. out the space, of the, the, the time we need. What would be the best song? Maybe not the best song ever, but sure. it's the best no, song for people who aren't in that world. All right. I think, what is um, it? So, well, I mean, it depends on like if I'm trying to like get people to impress all your and, and, oh yeah exactly right <laughs> right that's like exactly. who, who the, what the goal is i would you say can give like, us both if i had to just pick like one song that is like if i had to be like stuck on like a desert island with like one uh -huh. metal song for the rest of my life it'd be ghosts of war by slayer that song there's just this like riff in the middle that like to this day even like 20 years after hearing it the first time every time it comes on like I get like goosebumps on the back of my neck. Yes, you know what I mean? Like, awesome. like that, that is what I live for with music, you know, yeah. like that, like physical reaction to like hearing yes, something that's absolutely. just like, like I, I mean, I can feel it right now. Just like imagining yeah, it, just you know, it's like, about Whoa, what, what a, like a cool riff, you know? So that would be the one track that I would recommend. And okay. yeah, I'm trying to think like if there, if I have anything else to really say, on that front like to this morning like for reference what i was listening to because i think there's metal as a genre is quite vast and people's yeah. ideas of what it, you know a lot of time like two people can be metal fans that hate 
all the music that the other person listens to right (laughs) so like i was never really into like you know screamo bands or Uh anything that was like remotely radio friendly i guess yeah like this morning i was listening to this band called the county medical examiners which is a i love it a, a, a band that's like not even a real band everyone in the band uses like a pseudonym and their whole story is that they're all medical doctors who like remotely like started this band um, uh-huh. That's like a gore metal band, basically, when really uh-huh. they're all just like members of like other <laughs> metal other bands. bands. Yeah. But no one knows who they are still to this day. Really? Um, that's awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's like the stuff that I listen to day to day. The Slayer stuff is like, that's like my classic, you know, like, yeah, yeah. My favorite band of all time. But like, in a lot of ways, like the least extreme music I listen to. Um, okay. So that w- that's like a good little sampling of like my day to day uh listening um so is there any song that you can tell us that either would be the one that would like totally wow other metalheads or the one that maybe is a little bit more extreme or is, uh, it, is it is it hard to even really share in that space so like many i mean it's okay like yeah it's hard to pick just one um got it but if i think of one maybe we can like stick it in the show notes or something yeah yeah for sure really i got a couple weeks also uh, if you think of anything else you message me I'll in the show notes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll at least get the slayer one in there for sure also link the the county medical examiner yeah. for sure so yeah that'll be awesome. probably be like the first backlink to them on the internet in like the last like four ever. years yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So the last thing of every single one is I want people to be able to follow you and pay you money. And let's assume that not everybody already knows those things. So tell us about Twitter. What projects sure. are you on these days? What, what What's up? Yeah. So these days, like my main focus is I run a little company called Tailwind Labs that we created Tailwind CSS. And mm-hmm. uh, now we work on other stuff related to that. So we have Tailwind UI, which is a like a basically a Tailwind CSS component directory. That's a commercial product that people can check out if they're interested. But just generally, like if if you want to keep up with what I'm working on, you can just follow me on Twitter at Adam Wathen. And you can, I mean, I tweet all day, every day. So you'll see what I'm up to yeah. pretty quick because I, I would like to kind of work in public. If you want to listen to me talk more, I host a podcast called Full Stack Radio. Yeah. Lately, I've been co-hosting it with my friend Jack McDade. We're kind of switching up the format a little bit going from the interview format to just me and that's him catching nice. up every week or two and talking about what we're working on which has been fun um, yeah. so that's a good way to sort of get some behind the scenes details too but yeah that's kind of it you guys still have a newsletter at um tailwind labs right yeah or is, or is i mean not, in a sense but like it's so buried that no one signs up for it anymore i need to figure it's out a it. way to like solve that problem because i really would like to have um, a place to just be able to like email people like cool yeah. stuff like when a new one release comes out or when i opened a pr for something that i think is worth like explaining some interesting ideas yeah, behind yeah. or something and i think people would like be interested in that too yeah i just find like i mean it's hard to find a place on your website to put a newsletter thing that people are ever going it's to interact scammy. with you know yeah, what i mean because exactly it's in the footer it's just like oh yeah it's like the token newsletter sign up you know <laughs> that's in like every footer on yep. every site that no one uses mm. but it would be cool to figure out a way to like get people to actually sign up for something yep perfect world is just rss makes a comeback and then i can just like post stuff on a website and yep. uh, people can subscribe that way um because i don't think like i don't really care about being able to like force my way into people's inbox or anything anyways right, right. but it's nice to be able to have like a real like audience that's somewhere yeah. that's not on twitter where they could ban you or whatever you know yeah exactly um, where you're totally beholden to some yeah exactly but yeah all right be so cool rss we need to bring back RSS is the thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. There's like JSON feed that never really took off, you know? I know. I mean, I still write code. Or like I build little internal tools for Titan that uses RSS like on a weekly basis. I literally just got off a call yesterday with somebody and like consume these seven RSS feeds, put them in together in this thing and then do this and yeah. expose and add whatever. Like so I'm, I'm still in the RSS train, but I we need to RSS. hype it up a little bit more. Yeah. You need to like a, make a T-shirt for it or something. There just needs to be like a cool RSS reader. You know, someone needs to just yes. like. I wish I had the resources to. Well, I mean, I feel like it must ha- take incredible resources, right? Otherwise, why would why would they all shut down? I don't know. I think probably there's not as there's no money in it or something. I think it's probably yeah. the real reason, unfortunately. And even okay. uh, as someone authoring content, there's more money in having an email list than an RSS. Yeah, there is RSS feed, even though like from ethical isn't like the right word, but in in the sort of like empathizing with fellow developers you know i want Mm -hmm. i love the idea of just being able to just like i i would love if i never had to have an email list and could still reach all the people that i i wanted to reach just because like they had a place where they looked to see if new articles were posted every day from the people that they were interested in hearing from you know what i mean but email is currently the best it's the best way proxy for for that um so yep okay you got me thinking a little bit we'll see where we can go with this adam you are amazing. Just for anybody who doesn't know, I, everything I know about testing, I learned from Adam when he worked at Titan. So like this dude leads up, he leads down, he leads left, he leads right. He teaches. I think that one of the most prominent forces of people wanting to be someone who creates and teaches and shares just for the sake of sharing in the Laravel community has been Adam's prominence there. So we all owe him a great debt, in addition to the fact that most of us are using something he wrote or inspired at some point during our day. So, Adam, you are the freaking man. The amount of things that you have done that is good for all of us, even when day-to-day you're not writing Laravel right now, like day-to-day you're still writing Tailwind, which is in Laravel yeah. now. So we're all still betting for it. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on today, making time out of your super busy schedule, and thank you for teaching us, man. Thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate the kind words. All right. Well, I'll see you all next time. <laughs>